Okay, first of all, thank you very, very much, Mrs. Leonov. Thank you so much for hosting, yes, sir. for opening up your home and putting out such a beautiful spread and uh, being able to, uh, to do this, to have the opportunity to, to learn Torah with everybody else and to be able to share some words that hopefully, hopefully can inspire, hopefully inspire all of us, especially in the, in the world that we live in and everything that, everything that we need chizuk in. You know, the, uh, the title of the series, this is class two of the series, the title of the series is Strengthening Your Family's Values in 2022. And tonight's class, class number two, is Promoting Good Values in a Valueless World. Okay, such a heavy, such a heavy topic. We're going to spend, you know, th- th- there's so much that you could talk about on this. And if we talk about everything there's to talk about it, then everyone's going to be trapped here till next Wednesday. <laughs> because there's so much to say. But um, the idea of promoting, promoting good values in a, in a world where there's so much, so much craziness going on. You know, I just, just today, we were talking about the cold. Mrs. Avisar was, was talking about the cold before, right? So I just got off a plane this morning. I was in Detroit last night. And I went, I went to Detroit. It's, a, it's pretty cold over there, but it's getting even worse. But I went for one purpose and one purpose only to to see an incredible program that they have going on over there that we're hoping, hoping to be able to introduce down here. And they, they started this program about 35 years ago called Partners, called Partners Detroit. Now, many people may have heard of the concept of Partners in Torah. Um, Partners in Torah, what they do is, I mean, it's like a national, really worldwide concept where people are paired up to learn over the phone. If people want to learn, people want to grow at all levels. So people who are um, you know, more knowledgeable, etc., volunteer to be able to teach, and people who want to grow, who are more beginners, etc., who want to grow at their level, you know, volunteer that they want to, that they want to learn, and there's uh, people in the middle, and they set it up. Now, most partners in Torah programs are, um, are over the phone, but in Detroit, 30 years ago, they started this program where it's in person, and people come in, and it's the most incredible thing. On Tuesday nights is when this happens. They come into Yeshiva Beis Yehuda. That's where they do it over there. And it's, it, it's mind-boggling. It's incredible. And we had heard about this concept going on that there's hundreds of people that come into this building every Tuesday night of the year, except if it's like Yom Tov or whatever, a certain break. They come on in to learn. And people are learning all different things on their levels. It's, it's really incredible. So we've been talking with them about you know, trying to start something like that here in Miami because the, the community is so big. There's so many people, so many people of all different levels over here. And everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to have the opportunity to grow, especially if we're talking tonight about promoting good values in the world that we live in. You know, this is something that's amazing. So I went there and I saw this in person and it was like, it, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. So many people all in a room together, Men, women, all ages, all in the room together, just learning, everybody on their level, learning whatever they want, whatever they wanted to do. Um, so, you know, it, it reminded me, I was saying that, you know what, we're in a world where we need to, we, need, we so much need to grow, everybody, all of us, all of us, whether we're more knowledgeable, less knowledgeable, we have a background, whatever it is, you know, we all need to attach ourselves to those values and... Yeah, and in Mitzvah Shem, you know, on a practical note, in Mitzvah Shem, we're hoping to really be able to, to get this off the ground. I hope, you know, whatever, within the next few months to, like, to make this happen down here, to be able to pair up people, to be able to learn 
Bechavrusa, not necessarily, not like this type of a setting, like going to, which is beautiful too, don't get me wrong, right? Otherwise I'd be out of business, right? <laughs> going to a shir, right? With a rabbi, this is something different. Learning Bechavrusa, people who are, you know, doctors with doctors or whatever it may be, you know, people who are like-minded, who understand each other. So it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. We're hoping to get it off the ground and in Mitzvah Hashem. So I hope that, uh, you know, we'll reach out. People, if people are interested in getting involved, if people want to, to be involved in this program, to come, to be able to teach, to be able to learn. I'm looking to do this um, in the JCC. That's what I'm looking at right now. I hope it works. This is all like, you know, just uh, we're, we're trying to put it all together. Um, but in Ritz Hashem, hopefully that will work. So if people want and they're able to, and they're able to volunteer to come, to help, to learn, help other people grow, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Ritz Hashem, it should happen. But so tonight's class, again, promoting good values and a values word. I, I love starting this class with a story that I read uh, by Rabbi Benjamin Blech, who writes very often, I think he teaches in YU, and he writes very often on H.com, and he said that he grew up as a kid in Borough Park in Brooklyn, and he said he was a big-time Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Okay, the baseball team, before they moved to L.A., they were in Brooklyn, and he was a big-time fan. And he said that, um, that as a kid, you know, all he, you know, he grew up in a religious home, and uh, so obviously Judaism was important, but baseball was like, so important. Baseball was like the most important thing to him. And the fact that he was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, he said all that he wanted was to have a, an icon, a role model from the team, somebody who was Jewish, like him, who's playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he said all of a sudden, they signed a contract with a guy by the name of Goody Rosen. Rosen, nice Jewish name, okay, a Jewish baseball player. And he was so excited. And every time he would, he would watch the game, he would follow, he would see what's Goody Rosen doing, how well is he doing, etc., etc. And that was, his, uh, you know, that was his icon, Goody Rosen. And he said that as years went on, you know, he matured and other things became more important to him in life. And as he became, he became a rabbi a number of years later, and he said about 20 or so years later, he was officiating at a funeral of a prominent member in his congregation. And at the funeral, he was, you know, he was talking, he was talking passionately about the individual, about the Jewish values, about Olam Haba, about beautiful concepts. And after the funeral was over, so he said a bunch of people came over to him to compliment him on his speech. And most people came over and said, beautiful speech, it was so meaningful, so touching. He said, but there was one individual who came over and he said something, and this individual was a total stranger to him. He said, but this person took a little more time than the others to, to convey what he was saying. And he told him how much he admires his faith and how much he, he so wishes that he had that. All that you're expressing, all these values and the way that you expressed it so beautifully and, and it's so real and it talks to me and it's so incredible. I wish I had that. I so admire you and your faith and everything that you have. It's so amazing. And he was so touched by those words. Wow, this person really took to heart what I had to say and it was meaningful to him, etc. And after the individual left, a fellow from his congregation came over to him and he said, do you know who that is? Do you know who that guy is who just came over to you? He said, no, I have no idea. He said, that guy used to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. His name is Goody Rosen. And he said, at that moment, like it hit him like a ton of bricks. He said, as a kid, 
my perspective on life, on what's important and what's valuable. And look, Goody Rosen, that's what's important. That's what's meaningful. That's what I strive to be like. He said, it hit me like a ton of bricks so many years later when Goody Rosen himself comes over to me and tells me how much he wishes that he had what I have and how much he desires that and how much he wants that. We have something so incredible. We have incredible values. We have incredible beliefs. We have a Torah. We have mitzvot. We have something so awesome that people really admire and people really recognize. And obviously, we don't need those people to recognize it in order to, rec- you know, to understand the true value. But it helps us. It helps us when you hear a story like that. Whoa, we have something really so amazing. The Torah, the Torah's values. And the issue, which is what we're going to discuss tonight, is but how do we get our kids and ourselves, okay, we're like, we're the bigger kids, right? How do we get our kids and ourselves to really see that? to really appreciate that value, especially now in 2022, when there's more than ever in society that's luring us away from, from our values, from what's appropriate. You know, there was a, uh, the former, former in-house ethicist for Google, his name was Tristan Harris. He said the following, listen to this. And he got up in a public speech and he said this after working for Google for a number of years, Okay. Uh, and he knew the inner workings and he knows what, what's happening, etc. He said the following thing, listen. He said, when you wake up in the morning, you have certain goals for your life or for your kids. But when you open YouTube, it doesn't know of any of those goals. It has one goal, to make you forget your goals and to keep watching as many YouTube videos as possible. And he knows that from the end. And he, he's given TED Talks on this topic, etc. Um, it could be that's the reason why he's the former ethicist for Google, right? I don't know. But um, he, you know, he said it loud, loud and clear. The values of society are pulling us away from what our values really are. And it doesn't really, it doesn't need to be said, and I don't know if it should be said, but the bottom line is, you know, when you look at just, the specifics, okay, of what's happening in the world, you know, you talk about, you know, you talk about people being, um, you know, talk about same gender relationships and how that has like spiraled way out of control. You know, it, before 1993, less than 20% of population, of the population accepted that as like, that's appropriate and normal, Right. In 2012, not too long after, it rose up to 44%. Okay, and not too long after that, it was up to 56% and just rising and rising and rising and rising. Okay, our values are here and then the world's values are like the polar opposite and it's just getting like worse and worse and worse. And as far as marriages, as far as people's relationships and as far as people being committed to their relationships... It's scary to say it, I'm not going to say, but the, the statistics just get worse and worse and worse of the amount of people that are actually committed to their relationships. Um, and it's, and to, to the point that it's so normal in society that the value, the value of a normal, healthy marriage and what it means and what it's supposed to mean, and I'm not even talking about, you know, in you know, the Jewish concept, the Jewish perspectives, which of course are, are incredible and bring Kedusha, etc. I'm just talking about a basic, normal level. A marriage, a man and a woman being married, having a healthy marriage together, building a family. 
those values are like are, are just are just disappearing. Okay, and we see it, and we all know it. Okay, and you know Rav Shmuel Berenbaum, Zechor Tzadik Levracha, one of the Gedolei Yisrael of the last generation, the the Rashi of Mir in Brooklyn, he said that he you know he he would actually put the Bacharim in his yeshiva, okay, on such a high pedestal because he said the Bacharim in today's generation are facing so much. And this is, this is a while ago. He passed away already a number of years ago. They're facing so many challenges. To be able to stand up against the values of the world is so, is so difficult and so powerful. To be able to do what's right is not a simple thing, okay? And so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? It seems like a losing battle, <laughs> right? It seems, and it seems so scary, right? So we try our best. We try our best to keep ourselves, you know, uh, tight and insulated, etc. And um, at the Shear this past Monday um, in the morning that we have in the morning in school, Rabbi Kier spoke about this and it was incredible how we, you know, same idea. We talk about, we try to do that. But at the end of the day, the values seep in and we know that they seep in and we could try our best and we should try our best to keep those values out. But the bottom line is that they seep in. It's so powerful and it's so real. So what are we supposed to do to keep our kids and to keep ourselves on track and to keep ourselves focused on what's right and on the real values? And the first idea comes from our number one on the sheet. Beautiful thought, a beautiful Rashi, Okay. There's the Pasuk in Vayikra, right at the beginning of Parshas Emor. And feel free to follow along if you like it. The Pasuk says, Vayomer Hashem al Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Emor el Kohanim, say to the Kohanim, B'nai Aaron, the children of Aaron, V'amarta aleim, and say to them, L'nefesh lo'yitamim ba'amav, you should not become impure. We know the halacha, that Kohanim are not allowed to become impure, okay? They're not allowed to come in contact with dead bodies, and that's what this is discussing over here. We're not getting into that halachic discussion. But Rashi picks up on the Obvious issue. It says at the beginning of the Pasuk, Emoral ha Kohanim, that Moshe should speak to the Kohanim, B'nai Aaron, the children of Aaron, and then right after that says, Va'amarta Alehim, and you should say to them, Speak to the Kohanim, and you should say to them, He's just repeating yourself. Right? Why is Hashem repeating himself? We know that there's no extra words in the Torah. Hashem is telling Moshe, Say to the Kohanim and say to them, Why the double language, the double saying? And Rashi says as follows, The two languages, This repetition is there, is intended to warn the adults about their children also. So it's not just coming to tell us, the Pusik is not just coming to tell us about the, um, it's not just coming to tell us about the fact that the Kohanim, that the adults are not allowed to become Tameh. But it's also coming to tell us about how the children, the children of the Kohanim should not become Tameh, should not become impure. Okay, very nice idea. Um, so Rashi saying again, it's not just about them, but it's also about the second teaching is about teaching this to your children. And Rav Moshe Feinstein elaborated on this idea and he said that, you know, there's really, there's really two aspects over here when it comes to educating our children, okay? One aspect is teaching them the basics, teaching them the basics of the mitzvahs. Tell them, here we're talking about a mitzvah, right? A mitzvah that a Kohen can't become tummy, can't become impure. So yeah, obviously that means a face value. You have to teach the children the halacha. You're not allowed to become impure. Okay, very nice halacha. But there's another level of teaching as well. Rav Moshe says... That other level of teaching is that 
a parent has to convey to the child the value of that mitzvah and how they are excited and how meaningful that mitzvah is to them. And we're going to quote here from, uh, from the English Darish Moshe. I saw it today. The, uh, he wrote it over so beautifully over there. So I want to read it there on the bottom. He says like this, In the education of our children, it is meaningless to tell them in so many words, this is permitted and that is forbidden. This is, this is mutter, this is asr, this you can do, this you can't do. A child must see that what his father tells him means something to the father. If a child hears his father say that it is difficult to keep Shabbos and Yantiv, but he nevertheless managed to overcome the temptation to work on Shabbos, the son will not necessarily follow suit, rationalizing that he is not as strong-willed and cannot withstand the temptation. Just because the parents did something good and they overcame a hardship and they did a mitzvah in a difficult situation doesn't mean the children will follow suit. He says, but if the children hear from their parents that it is not at all difficult to keep the Torah and the, and the mitzvahs are wonderful, for they are the essence of life and the length of our days, then education has a chance of being effective. If they hear from the parents the opposite message, that it's awesome, we have mitzvahs, we have the Torah, we have great opportunities, this is awesome for us, this is doing so much for us, it's so valuable. He says that it has a chance of being effective. Moshe was to teach the Kohanim first the basics of the mitzvah, the prohibition and its penalty. Obviously, you have to tell them. This is permitted, this is not permitted. The Kohanim cannot come in contact with the dead bodies. You have to tell them the facts of the law. But then, he says, and then to explain to the Kohanim that they should feel the wonder and the magnificence of their unique mitzvahs. You, the Kohanim, meaning the fathers, need to appreciate the value of the mitzvah. The uniqueness, the magnificence, the wonder. And he says, with this approach, the adult will be charged with the mitzvah and the children will naturally be educated by it. Such a fascinating idea. Obviously, the words have to be said. We have to educate our children. We have to tell them the facts of the mitzvahs. But ultimately, Rav Moshe Feinstein is telling us that the real chinuch, the real education is going to come when the parents value that mitzvah. When the parents view this as awesome. This is such an amazing thing. I'm so happy that we have this opportunity to be able to do this mitzvah. And, you know, in the early, in the early part of the 20th century, this was a very big challenge. We all know that when many Jews came over, uh, came over to these shores from Europe, came over to America, it was a big challenge to be able to keep Shabbos. Okay? My grandfather was one of those people. Okay? It was a tremendous, tremendous challenge. Um, we didn't hear so much about this from him, but I heard this from my father, um, you know, how my grandfather would, he gave up, I believe he gave up his job four times, four times to be able to keep Shabbos, not knowing where his Parnassah was going to come from the following week. And so many people, so many people followed suit and, and you know, did that. Unfortunately, there were also many people who, uh, who did not, give up, you know, did not give up their jobs for the Shabbos, and it's totally not our place to judge in any which way, because we have no idea if we were in that challenge, it's a difficult challenge. It's tremendous, tremendous Nisaya and how, how we would react. But the bottom line is, there were many Jews who gave up for Shabbos. However, there was a question that was asked to Rav Aaron Cutler, it's an interesting thing, that there were two people who came to him, and one of them they, and both of these people, by the way, gave up their jobs for Shabbos. 
They both gave up their jobs for Shabbos. Tremendous mysterious nefesh, unbelievable. One of them, the children went off the derech and did not continue on in their, in, in their parents' path. The other one, the children stayed on the derech. And so the question was posed to Ravar and Cutler, why? Now, before I give you what Ravaran said, I'm assuming that Ravaro and Cutler knew all the people involved and the situation, etc. But Ravaran said that there's a fundamental difference between people and between people um, giving up their jobs for Shabbos. He said, one type of person, yes, amazing, they gave up their job for Shabbos, but they came home that Friday afternoon despondent. They came home so upset. They came to the Shabbos table crying. They came to the Shabbos table worried, anxiety. What am I going to do in the coming week? And they came to the Shabbos table not able to possibly understand, not able to possibly appreciate the Shabbos, but just so upset and so bothered. And obviously, it's, and it's understandable because there was so much on their mind. But Ravaran said that when the children see that, they get this message that, listen, you know, Obviously, this Shabbos thing, it's just not worth it. Why should I do this? Why should I bother keeping Shabbos? It's so annoying, so difficult. Look at what my parents are going through. Look at how upset they are. Look at what they did to give up their job, and my father doesn't know where he's getting his job the next week. This is terrible. I don't want to do this. And when the children see that, then they end up saying there's no value to Shabbos, and they'll end up throwing, they could end up throwing it off. However, said Ravar and Cutler, if people see that their parents come home and they have that type of Mesiras Nefesh and with the Mesiras Nefesh, they're happy and they're excited and they say, whoa, Hashem gave us such an opportunity that I'm able to give up my job for Shabbos. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'm not saying that. But the attitude, the understanding and the kids are able to see that and they pick up on that vibe and they pick up on that energy. Whoa. Then that gives off a message, a very clear message to the children that, wow, Shabbos is really amazing. And the parents that come to the table and sing the Zmiros and have a wonderful Shabbos meal together with the family, and it's all amazing, everything's wonderful, wow. What an incredible message that sends. There was a story that was told about a fellow who every single Friday he would get laid off, laid off from his job, like we mentioned, and he would keep the pink slip. They would hand him the pink slip and he would keep it. And he took the pink slip and he would put it in a box and he collected all of these pink slips and he kept it under, under his bed in a box. Very interesting thing that he was doing. And then all of a sudden on Arab Sukkis, he said to his children, come with me. I have one final decoration I want to put up on the sukkah. And he took out the box and the kids saw the box with the pink slips and they were like, what? What's he doing? What's daddy doing? And he took out the box and all together they made a paper chain with the pink slips. And he had the children help him put up this paper chain in the sukkah of the pink, of the pink slips to show how proud he is, how proud he is that he was able to give up his job for Shabbos. And sukkahs, the holiday, the holiday of Amuna, we just concluded, right? It was so many talks over sukkahs about Amuna. It was on that, on that holiday and that yomtev, the entire time, every time they ate in the sukkah, they were able to look and see these pink slips and recognize, understand, whoa, my parents have real amuna. My parents love Shabbos. My parents are able to give up and they're excited to do it. 
What an amazing thing. What an amazing lesson. Rav Moshe Feinstein himself had said that one of the main issues, which is similar to what Ravaran said, but he, uh, you know, he put it in a certain way, he said that, the, that people would come home and they would say the following phrase in Yiddish. They would say, yid, which in Yiddish, which in English that means it's very difficult to be a Jew. After giving up, you know, after giving up their job, etc., that was the attitude. They would come home and they would display that attitude to their children. It's difficult to be a Jew. And in turn, Rav Moshe himself said that, this is, uh, that that's the reason. That that's the reason why many, many children went off. Okay? Because, because the, the attitude wasn't there. The attitude wasn't that this is awesome, that this is amazing. That Shabbos is amazing. It's that this is difficult and this is annoying. And this is not only true by Shabbos, although that's like the best example to talk about it by, but it's true by, by all the mitzvos, by all the mitzvos. If we could give over to our children how amazing this is, we have such amazing opportunities over here. Amazing opportunities. When it comes to chesed, awesome. We could help out other people. You know how much simcha that brings us? We all know, right? We're not giving a talk tonight about chesed. We'll do that at a different time. But chesed is the ultimate thing that brings us happiness whenever we help out other people. Right? To be able to be a giver is what, you know, in a certain way is the most selfish thing, quote unquote, because it makes us, makes us so happy. It makes us feel so good to help out somebody else. Right? Showing our children and displaying that to our children is the most, the most incredible thing. You know, there's a puzzle in Tehillim, number three on the sheet, that it says as follows. Halu ashrei ish Hashem ma'od. It says that happy is the man... Who very mu- who fears Hashem? Who very much desires mitzvahs? Chafetz ma'od desires mitzvahs. Gibor ba'aretz yezaro, dor yisharim yevarach. Then his descendants are going to be mighty, a blessed generation of dor yisharim of upright people. And Rav Matisio Solomon told us said something something so amazing. He says that you know whenever they use the term that. Um, that whenever they use the term that they are, um, that they are, I'm sorry, that they're mitzvot of chafetz ma'od, that they desire the mitzvot, okay? That's talking about people who do the mitzvot, not because of reward, not because of schar in the next world, but they do the mitzvot because they really genuinely love the mitzvot. And such a person is considered praiseworthy, is considered, uh, what did they say, ashrei, right? Ashrei. This translation said happy, but I really should have changed that, right? Ashrei means like praiseworthy, okay? Such a person is praiseworthy, so wonderful. And he asked, he said, you know, that's very nice to love the mitzvos because you love the mitzvos. But we know, don't we know that, that a person is allowed to and encouraged to do mitzvos for the schar, for the reward in the next world? It's one of the, it's a very normal motivation, Right? Why do we do the mitzvahs? Because Hashem's going to give us reward. It's a very normal and healthy motivation, and a person is, is allowed to and encouraged to do mitzvahs for the schar, for the reward in the next world. So, how come that person's not praiseworthy? Why is it only the person who is doing the mitzvahs because they desire the mitzvahs, they love the mitzvahs? And he answered so beautifully. He said, Because you have to look at the next pasuk. The next pasuk is telling us, the pasuk that we just read, that this person's descendants are going to be mighty, their children will be mighty, and their children will be a blessed generation of upright people, of Yosher people. He says what the Pasuk is, is telling us isn't that one motivation is necessarily better than the other in our service of Hashem. But the Pasuk is telling us that if a person wants to have children that are Yosher, if a person wants to have children that go on in the proper path, 
person wants to have children that are the gibor, the mighty of the, of the land, etc., and are continuing in the proper path, then they have to do, then they have to be the type of person that is mitzvos of chafetz mo'od, that they desire the mitzvos. That they do the mitzvos not just because of the schar, because of the reward in the next world, but they're doing the mitzvos because I really enjoy it. I really feel that this is valuable to me. Again, as far as my own personal avodas Hashem, my own personal service to Hashem, Rav Matas Solomon says 100% it's healthy and kosher to serve Hashem because I want reward in the next world. That's okay. But if we want our children to learn from our ways and we want our children to turn out in the proper, in the proper path and to follow in those ways and to not get stirred by the lure of society and by everything that's going on, then our motivation for the mitzvahs has to be because this is really meaningful and I really love it. And I love the mitzvahs and I love Hashem's Torah and I love what it provides for me because it's so amazing. And that, this is really point number one. Point number one of tonight. And we're going to hopefully discuss four or five ideas of how we could possibly promote these good values with our children. Point number one, which arguably is the most important is that we have to be besimcha, we have to be excited about the mitzvot. We have to really mean it. It has to really have meaning to us. And when it does, and when it does, then the children pick up on it and they see it and they know it. And the Shabbos table and the Yantiv table and all of these, these are, these are the opportunities. These are the amazing opportunities that we have you know, to be able to give that over, to be able to give over, um, you know, those messages, those messages to the children. Um, you know, for example, right, for example, when it comes to davening, okay, when it comes to davening. So I, 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 I thought of this example because I catch myself doing this, okay, I catch myself doing this and saying this, and I'm trying to like switch how I say the following. Sometimes it's like it's time for mincha, and I didn't daven mincha yet, so I got to run out. So I say, so I say, I, I got to run, I got to catch a mincha. And I like, I, I, I stop myself, I say, what kind, of, what kind of message is that giving over to my children? I have to catch mincha? Like mincha is something that like I catch? Like mincha is just something that like we grab? Like, I, I got to grab mincha. I got oh, to make it happen, mincha. What? No, no. It's such, a, it's such an amazing opportunity that we have. You know, now, if I were to stop right then and give that whole speech to my kids, then I would end up missing them, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, but no, but it's, you know, that subtle message. And I, I, I like, I realized, I stopped myself. I said, whoa, what am I saying? What am I saying? And I'm like, I'm trying to like figure out a new way to say it. I, I have to catch Mincha? No. Catch Mincha? Catch Marv? Right? Oh, I, I got to die. What? I have an opportunity. I'm, I have an opportunity to daven. What an amazing thing. If a mother is davening and the child and a child comes over and you know wants their attention, etc., and if you know if it's the right time during davening to be able to give the attention, then the attention should be given. But if it's not, um, so then the child has to wait a little bit potentially. But then afterwards, there should like we should. It's such an opportunity to explain that to our children. Davening. Whoa, we have we have this amazing opportunity to be able to talk to Hashem, to be able to connect to Hashem. So awesome. You know, and it comes to, we were talking before about chesed. I thought of this example too. You know, it very often happens here and in every, you know, every from community that like at a certain time, you're like at supper time 
and there's the, uh, the baby needs stuff and the other kids, and everything's going on in the house and then all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and you go to the door and it's somebody collecting for something, right? And somebody collecting money, okay? And somehow that always happens at the times that are like the worst, <laughs> right? There's things going on, things we're trying to take care of, so much happening and that person is standing there Right then, what happens? Okay, what happens? And it's, it's an isayon. It's a, it's, it's a challenge, especially if it happens, if it goes on day in, day out, you know, that for a person in that moment to not react in a way of like, oh my gosh, I got to do this again. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta get my wallet, I gotta give, oh yeah. Uh, you know, like to, to not have that feeling at that moment is not easy at all. It is not easy at all. But I realized like a, a while back, like, whoa, my kids are watching. My kids are watching what's happening. How do I know? Because it interrupted the supper table, <laughs> right? We're in the middle of eating. So now my kids are watching me. So what am I going to do? So this fellow here is handing me that blue piece of paper, you know, signed from the Agudas Yisrael, right? We all know that paper, signed by Rabbi Simpson that says that you know, this, this family is in need, this person's wife is sick, he can't afford the treatments, whatever it may be, all the, all the situations, and there are a lot of really difficult situations. Is it possible in that moment, and I, I, I was saying this to myself, is it possible in that moment that I could say, you know what, wow, like I really feel for you, I really feel for your situation, I'm gonna go get you some money, and here, here you go, you know? And, Obviously, when it comes to these situations, it's not about how much you know a person gives. A person gives whatever they can give, but um, but the attitude, the outlook at that moment—it's such a teaching moment. And are the mitzvos like are they are they meaningful to us? And they are. And the thought that I had when I was preparing this class, by the way, you should know, I I, I had a, I had a thought that the, we all really feel this. We all feel and we know how important, how valuable the mitzvahs are to us. We know it intellectually. And it, like, listen, we know that if there's a person in need, right, to be able to help them is such an amazing opportunity. We all know that. The only thing is that when it comes a shasni sayon, when it comes a time when there's a challenge just like that, and you're thrown off guard because you're doing a hundred things and, and, and you're on the phone and you're taking care of the kids, which is all the things that, that should be happening at that moment, and we're dealing with the laundry or whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden that knock comes at the door, are we able to tap into those feelings? But the truth is, we know it. We know those feelings are true. It's just a matter of, you know, doing whatever we can to be able to tap into it. And for the motivation of showing it to our children, that's totally okay. To be able to show our children, this is important. This really is important. This is important. This is special. This is meaningful. Look at the opportunity we have. We could be able to help somebody else. We could be able to do a chesed to be able to help out another Yid. It's such an amazing thing. And this is true when it comes to the mitzvot in general, and it's especially true when it comes to our children's mitzvot. When it comes to the mitzvot that they do, that they're involved with, then we definitely have to go to the extreme to be excited about it, to show them. You know, there's a story told over um, about Rav Yitzchak Kudner, Zechertzadik Levracha, the great Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva Chaim Berlin, that when he was seven years old, 
he said that uh, there was one day where it was, it was shortly before Pesach, and he saw that his mother had bought herself a new dress. And he said, oh, new dress, what's with the new dress? And she said, well, I bought it for Yontif. Pesach is coming up. I wanted to get myself a new dress for Yontif. Oh, very nice. Well, the next day, there was a routine day. Um, he came home, and he came home from school, and he saw that things were pretty odd in the house. The table was set, like, beautifully, with all the fancy dishes were out. And it smelled incredible in the house, that there was a, cooking like a gourmet meal, and it was like a random Tuesday. And then it got even stranger, because he saw that his mother came out wearing that dress, the new dress that she got. He's like, what? Did I make a mistake? Is it Pesach? It's not Pesach. It's a random Tuesday. So what's going on? And she said, well, yesterday you told me when you came home from school that you guys finished a Masechta in school and that you made a Siyam. She said, you made a Siyam? That's, that's a real reason to celebrate. And she said, to me, that's like a Yom Tif. And I'm going to put on my Yom Tif dress and we have the table all set beautifully and I made your favorite dinner and we're going to have a Siyam here with the family together in your honor to recognize the fact that you finished the Masechta. He said even later on in life when he became a Chash of Rosh Hashiva and one of the Gedolei Ador that that was one of the moments that really stuck with him, what his, mother, what his mother did and what she showed, what she displayed at that moment. The love, the value, how awesome it is that you're involved in mitzvahs. It's such a beautiful thing. Your Torah learning is so valuable to me. I'm going to put on the Yomtev dress. It's a Yomtev for me. It's like Pesach. It's a Yomtev for me. It's so beautiful. Because that's how valuable it is to me. So, so point number one, and again, it's probably the most important, that's why we spent the most time on it, is feeling the simcha over the mitzvahs, feeling the simcha over all the mitzvahs that we're involved in, having, that it should be meaningful and really meaningful to us, that it spills over and that our kids see it, and especially when it comes to the mitzvahs that they're involved in. But there's a few more points as well. There's a few more points as well. The, the Pasuk in Bamidbar tells us that when it comes to that, uh, that when it comes to the um, the sota, okay, when it comes to the sota, the wife who wasn't faithful. So we know that story, that unfortunate story in the Torah in Parshas Nasso. So the Torah tells us that we know that she has to bring a carbon. Behavi as carbona, she brings the sacrifice, this carbon to Hashem. Asira sa'ifa kemach sa'orim. That's the type of of carbon uh, it is. But the Pasuk says, Lo yitzak alav shemen, velo yitin alav lavona. There's certain things that you don't put onto that carbon. And you don't put on oil, and you don't put on lavona. Lavona means frankincense. That's lavona. Okay? You don't put on frankincense, which is a type of spice that they would put onto the, uh, you know, onto the um, carbonos. Onto the carbon mincha. Ki mincha hu mincha zikaron maskeres avon. Okay? So, we don't put that on. Now, why don't we put it on? Rashi tells us as follows. Very interesting thing. Rashi says, number 4B on the sheet, it says, Sheha'imahos nikra'u levona. Shenemar, ve'al givas ha'levona, v'hipirsha midarcheihem. There's a pasuk in Shirashirim that refers to the imahos with the word levona. We're not getting into the pasuk in Shirashirim, but it refers to the imahos sa'arif karachalalea with the word levona. And that's the same word over here, the same word for the frankincense, for the spices, is levona. 
And therefore, it would not be appropriate to put the levona, the spices, onto this particular spice, onto the carbon, because this particular individual did not act. She went away. She separated herself from the ways of the imahos. And the levona is a reference to imahos, to the imahos, the saraf karachaleya. She did not act like the imahos. She separated herself from the imahos. And therefore, we don't put on the levona onto this. Okay. And by Rosh Hashiva, Rav Hedach Leibowitz asked such an amazing question. He said, huh? What? You're telling me that the issue over here with this individual is the fact that she didn't act like the imahos? I mean, come on. Let's get real. 98% of Kal Yisrael don't act like the avos and the imahos. I mean, how many of us are on the level that we could say, oh, the action I did, it wasn't like the avos and the imahos. What? I mean, come on. What this person did was a terrible, terrible avera. You wouldn't say, if somebody goes and murders somebody, right? Chas v'shalom. Somebody goes and murders somebody, you wouldn't say, oh, wow, he didn't act like Avram Avinu. <laughs> right? You wouldn't say that, right? you say, this is crazy. You're a murderer. What a crazy person. Terrible. Terrible Avera. You acted like an animal. Murdering somebody. Throw him in jail. You wouldn't even bring Avram Avinu into the sentence. The Sota, this situation, all that's going on, we would say, like even like bring the Imos into the picture? Why? What do they have to do with this? She acted in a way which is so, so awful. Such a terrible Avera. It's not like, oh, I didn't reach the level of the Imahos. No, you didn't even act like a basic human being. And he answered so beautifully. He said, no, 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 it makes a lot of sense. Because the issue over here, yeah, it's true, that in this particular action, she didn't act like the Imos. She acted like this, you know, this lowly human being. But he said what Rashi is telling us and what the Torah is telling us is that had she lived a life, her entire life, looking to live her life like the Imahos, had she lived her life on a daily basis, everything is just saying, you know what? I want to be like those people. I want to be like Sarah. I want to be like Rivka. I want to be like Rachel. I want to be like Leah. If that was her, was her map, the, the, you know, her entire life. That's what she was like looking for. That was her goal. So then this never would have happened because it's true that a person can be focused on a big goal and yeah, it's true that they may not reach that goal. But one thing's for sure. If a person is focused on a goal like that their entire life, then he said that it's very, very likely that they're not going to come to doing something like this. If a person is focused on, I want to be great. I want to be like the great people in Kal Yisrael. I want to be like the Avos and the Imahos. That's how I want to live my life. Then it's very likely that that person, it's true, they may not become one of the Gedolim, true, but that person is not going to end up sinking to such a low level, doing terrible Averos. And <clears throat> this is really point number two. To, to, um, to give over the message to ourselves and to our children to be able to have real role models. The role models being the gedolim. Okay? The role models being, yes, of course, the avos and the imahos, and in a more re- relatable sense to us, the gedolim and the great leaders of today. You know, there was a yeshiva bacher 
in uh, in one of the yeshivas in Europe, I believe he was in he was in Europe at the time. But he was in his dorm room. He had something very unique. He had pictures. He had this mirror in his dorm room, and he had pictures of all the gedolim of that time period. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, Rabbi Baruch Ber Leibowitz, the gedolim of that time were up on his on, on his mirror, and he wrote on the mirror. Like he cut out letters or something, he wrote on the mirror the following. He wrote the following words: "Why not you?" And every morning, he looked at that mirror. He looked at the gedolim and he asked himself the question: "Why not you?" And this individual ended up becoming one of the great gedolim. This individual was Rav Mordechai Gifter, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, who ended up becoming the Tells Rosh Hashiva, one of the gedolim of the last generation. He was focused. He had a goal. I want to be like those people. I want to be like them. And he ended up really becoming like that in his own generation, becoming one of the leaders. But one thing's for sure: he definitely stayed away from things that were not uh, from things that were not appropriate. It didn't fall prey to what was going on in the environment around him. To be able to give over that message to our children, we have gedolim, we have leaders, and that's who we want to aspire to be like if we can in any way, shape, or form to encourage our children to read books about Gedolim, to read books about the great rabbis and the great rebbitzins of our time, to read books about people who were great Balei Chesed. Again, I'm not, it's not just about Gedolim as far as like rabbis, although that's a, uh, you know, incredible, that's an amazing starting point, but people who've accomplished great things in their Torah and their Chesed. If we can encourage our children to read those books, amazing. If we can't, if we could share with them, share with them stories, share with them ideas. The stories are all available. The books are all out there. Online, we could find stories. I try personally to, to at the Shabbos table, um, we've made it a custom, really. My, uh, my son started this, my nine-year-old son, Chaim. This is, uh, he gets the credit. He had this, this idea a little while ago that he wanted. He said, we should have a story at the table. They like they like it when I tell them stories. Okay, so we try to tell a story every single by every single Shabbos meal. Something, and you know, it's not like a story. I have to like uh, search for hours. Fine, one of the books, the Living Amuna, Rabbi Pesach Kron's books, beautiful stories, and to be able to relate over the stories of the Gedolim and the great people and what they do and how they act and what's going on in their lives and what you know and and their morals and their values. Such an amazing thing. And then our children, hopefully, hopefully, we hope that they, uh, you know, that they get the message. That they get the message and in their mind they say, you know what, I also want to be like them. I also want to be like these people. A certain rabbi told me a little while ago, he said that he even pays his kids. <laughs> he even pays them to read books about Gedolim. So that's such a cool idea. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And pays them to read the books, you know, to be able to get these values, to be able to bring it in. Role models, heroes, people, these are the people that we aspire to be like. Showing them that, telling them the stories. And the last point we're going to get into over here, we're not going to get into all the points tonight in the interest of time, but the last point over here, such an amazing point, and number five on our sheet, we all know the story of Korach in the Torah. We all know the story of Korach, how Korach rebelled, and uh, he was jealous, and now Korach wanted the position 
of, uh, of his cousin, and he was upset, and he got upset at Moshe, and he threw everything off. And the Torah tells us, "Vayikach Korach ben Yitzer ben Kos ben Levi v'Dasan v'Aviram ben Eliyahu v'Od ben Pelas ben Eruven." Korach took, Korach took, and then it says that along with him was Dasan and Aviram, etc. But the term "Vayikach Korach" is very strange; it doesn't really belong there. And Rashi picks up on this and he says, "What did Korach take?" He says, "Lokach esatzmo letzad echad liyos nechlak mitocha idol oral kahuna." Korach took himself, he took himself off to one side to be separate from the assembly, to be separate from everybody else, to be able to raise objection regarding the kahuna. And this is what unklus means when he says the ispileg, that this means that he separated himself. He separated himself from the entire assembly in order to strengthen the fight. When it says in the Pasuk that Korach, who created this rebellion, took, took, Korach took. What does it mean? It means he took himself away from everybody else in order to fight. Very strange language. What does that mean? And once again, my Rashiva of Henoch Leibowitz, he pointed out something so amazing. He said, you know, listen, if you want to fight because you're jealous, so fight. So fight. Why do you have to take yourself? Take yourself means like he removed himself. He removed himself physically and he removed himself emotionally from the Jewish people at that time. Jewish people are here and he said, I am no longer a part of them. I'm going over here. Again, physically and emotionally. Separated himself from the klal in order to be able to fight. That's what Rashi said. Why would you need to do that? Just fight. Just start the rebellion. And he answered so beautifully. He said, you know why? Because it's human nature it is human nature built, hardwired into the human being, is that we want to feel a part of the people that we're with. And that when we're around certain people and when we're part of a certain community and they have certain ideologies, certain beliefs, certain hashkafos, then we naturally want to follow in that path, even if we may disagree. It's a very interesting thing. We just naturally follow the people that we're with, even though we may disagree. He said that Korach, while he disagreed, and he thought that Moshe was wrong, but the only way that he was able to start a rebellion, a real, legit rebellion, right, to start up with Moshe and Arnold Kalisrael, the only way he was able to do that is if he separated himself from them. Because if he felt a part of Klal Yisrael, if he felt with these people, with Moshe and Aaron and Yeshua and Pinchas and Elazar and all of these people, then he wouldn't have been able to start up. It could be he would have disagreed. It could be he would have still had his opinion. He would have still maybe felt deep down that Moshe is wrong, but he would not have been able to start up because people naturally want to feel a part of the community that they're with. And it's only when we separate ourselves It's only when we separate ourselves from the community, then a person is, you know, then then things get shaky and then a person is able to rebel. And he applied this lesson when it comes to our kids in such an amazing way. You know, when it comes to our children, it comes to, again, ourselves as well. We all have opinions and we all have things that we don't understand. And when it comes to kids, especially teenagers, they're gonna have questions, they have things that bother them, 
things that they don't get, things that are difficult. Why is Hashem doing this? Why does God have to do that? Why does the world have to be this way? This is not fair. This is not fair. It, it doesn't make any sense. Why does that person have to get sick? Why did this have to happen? All questions and good questions and questions that need to be addressed. And there are times that people could go so far with those questions that they end up saying, you know what, forget it. Forget the whole thing. Forget the religion because I have so many questions and so many things I don't understand and so many things that don't make sense to me, so just forget the whole thing. However, if a person stays connected to the community, stays connected to the Torah, stays connected to the, to the shul, to the yeshiva, to the neighbors that are all like-minded, all the people in this room, that we all stay connected to each other. In that way, then, it makes it so much harder for a child to rebel. If a child really feels like they're part of this, and this is my community and these are my people, and they really genuinely feel that, so then... <clears throat> to rebel, excuse me, is not so easy. It's not so easy, even though they may disagree and they may have things in their mind, they may have questions that need answers. But to be able to actually go ahead and rebel and throw it off, that becomes so much harder because this is who I'm part of and this is what I believe in. And I just heard a story just this afternoon that happened relatively recently um, about a fellow named Rabbi Heber who, I'm not sure who he is exactly, but Rabbi Heber, who the story has it that he is a Moel, okay? And he received a very interesting call from a lady who had said that she had a, she had a baby boy and she was considering not having a bris, not, not a religious family, and she was considering throwing off, you know, throwing off and not, not doing a bris altogether. She was nervous, I, that was part of the thing, and nervous about the bris, and, uh, you know, it's a surgery or whatever, but not interested in doing it. And she spoke to her rabbi, and the rabbi said, listen, I, you know, I really think you should do a bris and try to convince her. And he said, listen, there's a very, very reliable mohel. His name is Rabbi Heber. You should give him a call and just talk to him, talk it out with him. Listen, whatever you decide, but, uh, you know, just talk to him. And she called him up, and when she realized the name Heber, she said, wait a minute, are you related to so-and-so? Another Rabbi Heber? And he said, yeah, that's my uncle. She said, that Rabbi Heber was a teacher of mine when I was in the fourth grade. And he had such a powerful impact on me. And his teachings, etc. And it, it, it made me feel so good, and I enjoyed it so much, and I enjoyed that learning so much from him. And this reconnected her as a result of hearing that. This reconnected her and she said, you know what? If you're related to that Rabbi Heber, then I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do the bris. And this Rabbi Heber ended up being the mohel and did the bris. Why? Because something happened years earlier that this Rabbi Heber, the senior Rabbi Heber, did in his interactions, etc., that allowed her to feel a part of the community that allowed her to feel connected. And that connection maintained all the way from the fourth grade till now as she's a mother. That she felt that connection. She felt connected to somebody, somebody with Torah values. And as a result of that, look at how powerful it is. She ended up giving a bris to her son when she wouldn't have done it otherwise. The idea to be able to connect to the community and show our children that we're able to connect to the community is so powerful. And of course, last but not least, is that we have to daven. 
We have to daven. We don't need any proof to that. We just have to daven. We have to daven. The world is difficult. The world's a crazy place. We have to daven that our children are able to stay on the proper path, that they're able to follow the values that we're trying to impart, that we're trying to give over to them, that the Rabona Shalom should look out for them, should look out for us, to be able to allow them, to be able to give them the appropriate chinuch that, that they need to grow up in this crazy world and you know, to be able to like whitewater raft like against you know, the, entire, <laughs> the entire world and all the values and to be able to stay strong to, uh, to Torah and to mitzvot and Be'ezus Hashem through this, through feeling the simcha over the mitzvot, over our mitzvot, over the mitzvot that our children do, through the idea of having gedolim and imparting to our children that we have great leaders, heroes, people that we should follow, people that we should emulate. And last but not, and I'm sorry, and, uh, and the idea of the idea of Korach to be able to feel part of the community and give that message over to our children. And of course, the daven for them, Be'ezus Hashem, and that zuchus, our children will, will come out okay, they'll come out better than okay, they'll come out great, and Be'ezus Hashem be the next leaders of the, of the Jewish people. Amen. 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 Amen.